I'm JR, one of the pastors here, and we just want to welcome all of you here with us this morning. Um, don't you love the season of Christmas, the season of Advent, preparing our hearts for this? I, I want to invite you to grab your Bible if you've brought one with you. If not, there's one provided for you in the chair immediately in front of you, or you can grab your iPhone or iPad, whatever your favorite technological gadget of choice is. Turn with me to the first chapter of the Gospel of Luke, and I want us to focus here just a little bit this morning, because one of the things that Luke's gospel does for me when I read it is that it it provides us with a summary of many of the details about the events that are associated with the birth of Jesus. And just in the first three chapters of the gospel of Luke, when you begin to look at that, you, you find these stories. You'll find the birth of John the Baptist foretold. You'll find the birth of Jesus foretold. You'll, you'll see Mary's magnificent hymn of praise that we'll close with this morning. You'll see the, the birth of John the Baptist, the birth of Jesus, the witness of the shepherds. You'll see Jesus presented as an infant in the temple. You'll even see Jesus as a young man make his debut at the temple. And you'll see the inauguration of John the Baptist's ministry. And when you read Luke, and if you've been reading it as long as I have, one of the things that comes to my understanding is this is what I see Luke doing when he's actually writing this gospel. I see him providing all of these details as a way to convince the people who he knew would one day read his gospel that this Jesus was just no ordinary guy. And in fact, when I read all of these stories, I I really see Luke going to great lengths to demonstrate just that. That this man, this Jewish carpenter that we call Jesus, was no ordinary man. I mean, Luke's account of the gospel itself hinges on the fact that Jesus is the virgin-born child of God. Now, that's an orthodox belief that's been around for a long time. And in and of itself, it's extraordinary. No, no, it's not. I'm going to change that. It's not extraordinary. It's miraculous. Everybody say miraculous. In fact, I'd probably use the word extraordinary if I was going to reference all of the Old Testament prophecies that point to the fulfillment of Jesus' coming in our story this morning. But in our story this morning, God is in the midst of doing something both extraordinary and miraculous, and he's doing it in the midst of everyday life. And one of the things that I think about when I think about people like myself and people like us is sometimes I wonder to what degree we live life with an awareness that God is doing something extraordinary and miraculous in our midst. So this got me to thinking, I I wonder, I just wonder to what extent, I just want to ask you this, at what extent do you live your life with an awareness that, that God may be doing something extraordinary or even miraculous, not just in your life, but maybe through your life? And he might, and if, and I guess this is the other thing I've discovered, that when he does such things, it normally takes place in the midst of ordinary, everyday life. I came across this reference when I was preparing this message, um, that shared some of the events that were actually taking place in the Roman Empire at the time that, that, that Gabriel visits Mary and Nazareth. And I think one of the things that, that's so amazing to me about it is that the Roman Empire, the, one of the most powerful empires that's ever been on the globe, is not even aware of this angelic visit. They're not even aware that God's getting ready to do something extraordinary and miraculous in the midst of the mundane and the ordinary, in fact, an out-of-way place called Nazareth. In fact, so here, here if, if there were newspapers written back in those days, here's some of the headlines, and these would have been true, but here's some of the headlines that you may have heard. King Artaxus, near death. 
Grain grain ships dock, Roman riots end. Nine pirate ships sunk by the Sixth Fleet. Athens students clash with police. Olympic wrestler, still in a coma. Or report, angels sighted in Judea. Now when you hear those, when you hear those as headlines, it's not much of a stretch for us to realize that the only thing that we have to do is change the names and the places and they fit right into our modern world. But there's a reason that I think that these headlines fit so naturally into our modern world. It's because even though life was a couple thousand years ago then, people were still people. And people still did life very similarly to the way that we do life today. There were wars then, just as there are wars now. There was sickness and pain and suffering then, just as there is sickness and pain and suffering now. There was poverty, economic inequality, Injustice then, just the same as there is now. But here's the difference. When I read Luke's account of the gospel, one of the things that I think Luke does in a great way is that he writes and shares that Jesus' contributions to all of these situations, that his presence always makes a difference, and it changes the outcome. In the midst of war and oppression, Jesus brings peace. In the midst of sickness and In the midst of pain and suffering, Jesus brings healing. In the midst of inequality and injustice, Jesus Jesus brings love and justice and equality. And he does so in an abundant way, an extraordinary way, sometimes even in a miraculous way. So this morning, we're going to take a look at, at Mary's world, a world much like ours, one that's populated with people of varied opinions just like ours, But what I want us to see is that in Mary's world, everybody say Mary's world. There's something going on that the natural eye can't see. There's something actually taking place that the natural heart of humanity can't understand until God chose to step into our situation and reveal his plan. And even then, there are still questions. But the good news is this. God had already made preparations long before, and now he was about to carry them out by bursting onto the stage of humanity through the lives of Mary and Joseph. And get this, in this insignificant, out-of-the-way place called Nazareth, a city that had a reputation from which no good thing could come out of. But the fullness of time had come, and God had sent forth his Son to be born of a woman and to be born under the law. Something miraculous was about to happen in this insignificant Jewish providence in Rome's widespread empire, because the birth of this, the birth of this baby Jesus would, would do what no authority or an invention of man could ever hope to do. One day, love's promise in the form of a child would grow to become the Lord of the cross and proclaim to all, saying that, I've come that you might have life and have life abundantly. For those who believe in me will not be condemned, but those who do not believe in me stand condemned already. And another thing that, that Luke does is that I think he, he writes in a spirit of, of renewal where he, he invites everybody, everybody who just merely lives their life by habit. And this is the type of person who's just going through life without any real sense of direction or real intentionality or any real meaning. It's very invitational. When I, when I read his gospel, he, he invites people like that to accept love's promise in the form of Christ so that their lives can be turned around and transformed by the power of God no matter what the circumstances they find themselves in. 
And I wonder, I wonder how many of us believe that God is really aware of our circumstances in life. I mean, when I look out over this crowd, I see a lot of different people who I know are in unique circumstances. One of the things that our text does this morning is that it makes very clear that God was aware of Mary's circumstances in life. Raised in a poor family, lived in an insignificant, out-of-the-way place called Nazareth, Nazareth, a city that had a bad reputation even among the Jews. The prophets had foretold that a day would come when, when God would step into this world of darkness to bring light and that a child would be born and a son would be given, that he would bear the name Emmanuel, which means God with us. If you look with me in Luke chapter 1, I want to invite you to look at verse 26 as we look at this story, because when you consider Gabriel, one of the archangels, making this appearance and this announcement to Mary, it's, it's really quite amazing. And when you consider his greeting, I think it's easy to understand why, why Mary's perplexed and afraid. Look at verse 26. It says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. And she was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. And Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed and afraid, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. I don't think Mary had any difficulty understanding what he said, and we're going to look at this a little further. I think the dilemma here is she's wondering how this is actually going to take place. I want us to focus just a few minutes on Mary's response, and here's why. I think the way that she responds to Gabriel reveals a heart, in my mind at least, that is humble and honest before God. Because you see, I don't think she ever expected to see an angel let alone be chosen for this special assignment from heaven. And when you look at her life situation, poor, in Nazareth, there's nothing unique about her that suggests that she's really much different than the other girls in Nazareth, or, or let alone all of Galilee. Mary's just a common girl who's chosen for an uncommon assignment. And I think one of the things that the story makes clear is that this was a surprise to her. Gabriel then gives her the good news, and in verse 30 and following, he, he tells Mary that, that she's going to become the mother of the promised Messiah, the one that everybody's been looking for, and that she's to call him Jesus, which means God is our salvation. Look in verse 30. He says, Mary, he says, don't be afraid, the angel told her, for you found favor with God. He said, you'll conceive and give birth to a son, and you'll name him Jesus. He'll be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever into his kingdom. There will never be an end. I think when I read this, when I read verse 34, where Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen to me since I'm a virgin? I think Mary's letting us know that she understands what's going to happen. She understands what what the angel has described to her, but she also lets us know that she doesn't have any idea how it's about to happen. Her question in Luke one thirty four, how can this happen, I don't think it's a statement of unbelief like Zechariah, Elizabeth's husband. And here's the reason why. Zechariah and Elizabeth were old. They'd lived their life. They were well beyond childbearing years. And when, when Gabriel appeared to Zechariah, he just simply didn't believe what the angel was saying to him. And when I see this, I... I see that, at least in Zechariah's mind, 
He'd live life long enough to experience disappointment, to experience fear. And life circumstances had grown to become a mountain in his mind that was larger than his faith. And he simply didn't believe what the angel had told him was about to go, that was about to happen. That his barren wife Elizabeth was getting ready to give birth to a child who would grow up to become John the Baptist and make a way for the coming of the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, but this kind of strikes home with me. Because I've lived life long enough. I've, I've seen what I would call real miracles. But I've lived also see some great disappointments. And to see what I would call even my hopes sometimes dashed against the despair of life. And I don't know, maybe you're like me in some areas of your life where your experience has allowed circumstance in life to create a mountain that's larger than your faith, maybe even larger than God's promise to you. But when I look at the heart of Mary, I think her heart teaches us the exact opposite. And, you know, she was a young woman. She, she was only maybe 14 to 16 years of age. Some say maybe even, maybe even younger. But when I look at her heart, it's a heart that's it's not full of unbelief. It's one that's full of faith because she's not questioning what's going to happen. She just doesn't know how because she's never been intimate with Joseph, the man to whom she's engaged. And unlike Zechariah, who didn't believe the message that the angel brought. Mary actually believes the promises of God. She takes the heart, the message, and the visit from the angel Gabriel. Maybe that's what the Bible says or means when it says that a child shall lead them. See, Mary's dilemma was that she just didn't understand how God was going to make this all work because she was still a virgin. But one of the things that I think this story makes abundantly clear to me anyway is that one of the things Mary did understand is that God was bigger and greater than any and all the circumstances that she found herself in. And for me, that's good news. I mean, really? Really? How does a virgin give birth to a child? But it's here that Gabriel explains that this conception wouldn't be just extraordinary, that it would be a miracle. It would be the holy and deliberate work of the Spirit of God. In verse 38, the Bible says this, The angel replied, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so that the baby to be born will be holy, and he'll be called the Son of God. And what's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. And people used to say that she was barren, but she's conceived a son, and, and Mary is now in her sixth month. For the word of the Lord will never fail. Or maybe your translation says, all things are possible with God. And Mary responds, I am the Lord's servant. May everything that you've said to me come true, or may it be done unto me according to your word. And then the angel left her. Gabriel does something neat in this story too, besides just give a message. I think his message has purpose, and I think that it has meaning, and I think it's something that all of us can learn from this morning. He's just came to Mary, a young woman, and announced to her that she's going to be a virgin, the fulfillment of Isaiah 7, 14, who gives birth to the promised Messiah. That's a pretty monumental task. But now he leaves her with a word of encouragement that I believe... And God's timing is really designed to bolster and build up her faith because this is what he tells her. He lets her know that her aged 
relative, Elizabeth, is pregnant, proving to her, see, in their minds, she, wasn't, she was never going to have a baby. And Gabriel points to the fact that this aged relative of hers is getting ready to have a baby. In fact, she's already in her sixth month. I think to confirm and encourage her, knowing that with God, say it with me, all things are possible. I mean, how, how important is it in our lives for somebody to give us a word of encouragement in a time when we really need it, where there's, there's an area in our life that we need to cross over into, and for whatever reason, we're reluctant, we're hurt, we, we, we're not very hopeful, maybe we're discouraged, and just at the right time, God's put somebody in our way who speaks a word of encouragement that encourages us just to take the next step and enter into God's life. You know, my favorite part of the whole story are the words that that for me anyway, give me a glimpse into the heart of this young maiden. After Gabriel delivers his message, Mary says, Behold, I'm a servant of the Lord. May it be done unto me according unto your word. And I love that response. Because Mary's response to love's promise, I think, is a heart that's laid open and bare to surrender her entire life to the plan and direction and will of God. A few days later, she, she meets Elizabeth. She verifies that Elizabeth is pregnant. When, when, when Elizabeth hears Mary's voice, the baby inside of her womb leaps with joy. John the Baptist, the Bible says that Mary's filled with the Holy Spirit. And love's promise gives birth to love's joy. And it's in this midst, in, in Luke chapter 1, starting with 46, that uh, Mary breaks forth in praise and, and she sings this song. And I want you to follow along with me. In Luke chapter 1, verse 46, And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my heart and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. And he has performed mighty deeds with his arm, and he has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our father. I think love's promise that came and this angelic message that gave way to the birth of Christ had empowered her to face her fears and overcome them with a sense of joy that compelled her to really to to sing out these, these words of praise. And this is an old song, parts of it, that Mary quotes from references to the Old Testament scriptures, especially in the Psalms and in 1 Samuel. And her song's called The Magnificent because it expresses a desire to glorify the Lord and, and not humanity and people. In fact, I, I want us to think about this this morning because I want you to under, really understand Mary's plight. This is a woman who's came from a no-name place. She's came from poverty. She's engaged to a man and found to be pregnant. She's never been intimate with him. And under Old Testament law, she was subject to stoning. And we know how Joseph responds to this. When he finds out that Mary's pregnant, he's already decided in his heart to to put her away quietly and not to draw any unnecessary attention to the pregnancy. Man, what a man of character and love. And and that was before Gabriel visited him. The Bible tells us, when we look at this story, that in the face of all of this, 
In the face of possible stoning, in the face of rejection from Joseph, Mary chose to willingly trust love's promises, believing that God would honor his word to her. Instead of worry, joy filled Mary's heart. And her praise song, known as the Magnificat, is filled with this praise for God. And I think it paints for us a vivid, a vivid awareness of His greatness and love. And if you've ever wanted to know what Mary thought of God, man, here's a snapshot of her vision. I want to close with this as we get ready for communion. I think Mary knew God as a God of power and as a God of concern. I don't think she was aware of the extent to which God was really aware of her circumstances until that visit. And I hope that encourages us this morning to live our lives with such an acute awareness that God knows just exactly where you are and just exactly what you're facing. She knew him as the one who cares enough for the humble and the hungry to reach down and really to meet human need. And maybe this helps explains Mary's response to the Lord because she seems to have had this clear vision of who God is. She knew him as a God who cares and as a God of love. A God who loves and cares enough to act. May we each come to know him in our walk with him so well. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you this morning. Lord, we delight ourselves in you, knowing that, Lord, you're so intimately involved with our lives that absolutely nothing escapes your notice. Lord, would you forgive my unbelief? Would you forgive our unbelief? May our hearts be stirred and our lives with you be motivated to respond the same way Mary did to you, having faith in your word, love's promise over life circumstances. May our hearts be filled with faith to such an extent that no matter what we're facing, we know that our love for you is bigger and greater and that your love for us will equip us to face anything we meet in this life. Lord, this morning, would you send your Holy Spirit upon us as we break this bread and drink this cup with one another? Would you bless us to where we really become the communion of the body and the blood of Christ together? And would you grant that all of us be joined together in him so that as we continue to live for you, Lord, that we, we grow into a point where we attain the unity of the faith in Christ and grow up into all things in you, Lord. And as this grain has been gathered from many fields into one loaf and these grapes from many hills into one cup, Lord, would you grant that your whole church would soon be gathered together from the ends of the earth into your kingdom, to which we reply, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. As our elders come, I, I want to invite you to just maintain a posture of worship, enter into a time of reflection and confession, 
to make sure that everything in your heart with the Lord Jesus Christ is ready. And if you're here this morning and you can say that Jesus Christ is your Savior and your Lord, you're invited to this table because he's the host of it. Let's come before him with bowed hearts.